This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Coo Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grawn, New Whale. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore, mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I am your host and your Fireside bard. Welcome to episode 115 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we have a folk tale from the Changeling variety. And this is the story of the young Piper. But first, a big welcome to any new and indeed any returning listeners. Please do follow me over on Instagram at FiresideBard. If you want to get in touch, email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com or join Headstuff Plus if you really want to join the Fireside community and support this podcast financially and get access to bonus material, bonus episodes, videos, reviews, all sorts over on headstuffpodcast.com. Gain access to the exclusive content, not just for Fireside, but for every other podcast on the Headstuff Podcast Network. And there are 33, 34 other ones of them. If I seem like I'm rushing or if I just sound a bit different in general, it is because I am on the road. I have taken a secret a uh, very last minute, a, a last minute covert operation, and I'm back on the road. I probably in a week or two will be settled again, and then I'll be able to reveal a bit more. But this is a very covert, impromptu guerrilla podcast that I'm recording here. Um, I hope I'm hoping the sound quality. You won't notice too much of a difference for I'm not in quite the acoustic environment that I usually am. Even not just not being in the Headstuff Podcast Network studios, but not being at home with my great um, with my decent home studio setup but I am here I am I've got what I've got I've got the story we're doing this guerrilla style this is fireside 115 this is the story of the young piper the young piper on the borders of the county of Tipperary there lived a young married couple Mick Flanagan and Judy Muldoon. The couple were blessed, as they say, with three beautiful, healthy boys. Unfortunately, these three boys were not the only children that they had, for Mick and Judy had a fourth son. Their youngest seemed to never be right from the first night he was brought home. He screamed and cried longer and louder than even the sickest of newborns. There seemed to be no consoling him. He ate and drank more than any of his brothers, constantly trying to take their food. As the child grew, 
things scarcely improved. As soon as he could walk, the youngest seemed capable of orchestrating pranks against the other members of his family. Tripping his brothers up, freeing his father's livestock and just wrecking his mother's head every waking moment. Young as the child was, it all seemed conscious, like he knew exactly what he was doing. His actions belied a cunning and an intelligence far beyond his years. A cunning intelligence, perhaps even an evil. It was often thought in situations like this that the child was a changeling, that the other folk had stolen away the healthy baby and replaced it with an ageing one of their own to wreak havoc on the poor, unsuspecting family. Disabilities, mental and physical conditions, all of these were rationalised and explained away as changelings. It was a small community where Judy and Mick lived, and everyone had to throw in their tuppence halfpenny on what the couple should do with their problem child. The usual methods were discussed. Burning the child alive, bringing it out into the woods and letting it die of exposure, and of course the classic of boiling emptied eggshells, an act supposedly so bizarre and out of the ordinary that the fairy could not help but expose himself. All of these suggestions Judy refused. She did not concern herself with these changeling suspicions. The boy was not as healthy and good-natured as her other sons for sure, but he was still her own, and her youngest to boot. No matter what, she loved the whelp. A travelling blind Illen Piper came into their village. His name was Tim Carroll, and he was famed as one of the best in Ireland. For a cup of tea or a drop of something stronger, Tim would call into your house and play the finest tunes on the mightiest instrument in traditional Irish music. The piper dropped into the farmhouse of Mick Flanagan and Judy Muldoon. The Illen Pipes are like bagpipes, that are not blown into, but rather pumped and bellowed under your elbow. Illen being the Irish language word for elbow. The notes are shaped on a canter, which has the same fingering as a flute or a whistle. In essence, the bellows create a drone, and the canter forms the melody. So playing the Illen pipes is like playing two instruments at once. Devilishly difficult to become competent at playing, it is said that it takes 21 years to master the pipes. Seven years of learning, seven years refining, and seven years playing. Blind Tim Carroll had played the pipe for 27 years. He was well and truly a master. Being such an elaborate instrument, the Illen pipes have to be strapped onto their player. Tim Carroll sat down in Judy Muldoon's kitchen as she prepared the piper some grub. Tim uncased the pipes and placed them on an adjacent stool. Blind as he was, Tim could not see the youngest child climb onto the stool and strap the pipes onto his own tiny legs. The child had never even set eyes on Illen pipes before much less played them. 
And yet, with an unconscious skill, the child began to play the air tore them the laugh, with as fine a skill as Tim Carroll himself. For his part, the blind piper immediately wanted to know who was playing his pipes and for how long they had been playing them. Oh, I'm sorry, said Judy. That's our youngest. He's a bit of a troublemaker. How old is your son? asked the piper. He'd be about five. The piper was silent for a moment. Miss Muldoon, do you have any idea how many years I was playing the pipes before I could play toward them the law with that kind of skill? The blind piper told Judy that if she would part with her son, he would take him on as an apprentice, that they would travel the country together and that her son would become a nationally famous piper. Judy was ecstatic. She had long feared that her problem child's son would end up begging on the side of the road. She would miss him if he went away, even though it would make her own life so much easier. But Judy wanted what was best for the child. When Mick came home from the farm that night, Judy told him the news, and the next day a pig was brought to the market in Clonmel and was traded for a brand new set of Illen pipes. As soon as they arrived, the budding young piper began to play with them. The pipes were the size of the child, and when he played with them, it looked like he was wrestling with a carpet octopus. But the sound omitting from the instrument was the perforating and haunting sound of the Irish tradition. Planks de Irwin, she vyog she more, the gander in the prati hall. And the music also brought out the best in the child, for he was kind and generous with his music, happily playing it for all who would listen. And the community opinion of the changeling child of Mick Flanagan and Judy Muldoon soon began to soften. But perhaps it should not have, because another common characteristic of changeling lore is musicality. Neither Mick nor Judy were musical themselves, and so did not realise just how odd, nay, impossible it was that any five-year-old child could just sit down and become a master piper. By the time the child was six, his old habits had returned. In fact, they had worsened, for now he had a powerful gift. There was one particular tune that when the child played, all around felt compelled to dance, but not in a good way. Women and men felt they were tripping over themselves, unable to stop. Stools would make themselves move from behind folks. Pots and pans would come flying off the wall, clattering in rhythm, but right into people's faces. It all had a very sorcerer's apprentice vibe, and there was no sorcerer to disenchant the broomstick. Eventually, the plague on the household spread to the entire community. Livestock began to turn on masters. There were stillbirths and madness. Mick Flanagan was a popular man, but his fellow farmers were superstitious people. They told him they thought him as fine a man and farmer as the county of Tip would see, but that they thought his son was the source of all their woes. Mick loved where he lived, the community, but his family came first. And changeling or no, he too would not let harm come to his son. So the family decided 
it was time to move. All of Mick, Judy and the children's effects were loaded onto a cart and they made their way to the neighbouring county of Limerick. Ah, Limerick, the land of the free. The young piper was plopped on top of the cart and he played music all the journey long. The family were happy with the music while keeping an eye that he didn't play that particular tune. When they at last came to the tip Limerick border, the family had to cross a high stone bridge over a gushing river below. As soon as the young piper saw this bridge, he began to cry so loud it would deafen the gods themselves. Judy did everything to console the whelp, but he would not be consoled. It all became too much for Mick Flanagan, who had uprooted his entire life and family all for this demonic, ungrateful whelp. His temper got the better of him. Mick grabbed the Ellen pipes and tossed them into the river. Without realising his son was still fastened to them, the young piper and pipes tumbled down into the river and Judy let out a tragic wail for her lost youngest son. But her son was not lost. In fact, he had never been her son at all. The family began to hear the familiar sound of the illen pipes from far below. They looked down and they saw the young piper riding on the crest of a wave like an apple cart sat cross-legged playing Thor them the love as he happily rode away, presumably back to his own people. The End Folks, as you all know, Fireside is a proud son of the Headstuff Podcast Network, which is Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts and a loving home for the creative and indeed the curious. There are so many other podcasts I could recommend to you on the network, some of which inspired me to approach Headstuff myself. Here's a taste of one you might enjoy. I'm Gerald Farrelly and I'm the host of Fascinated. Have you ever wondered about the pop bands you liked as a teenager? What went on behind the scenes? We had played this like grand prank. It sounds terrible, but I'm just so relieved it's over. And then they had this like great idea of getting another girl in who looked like Heavenly. What did they do afterwards? And all of a sudden you're like, that's the end of that. It was all blowing up and it all kind of just unraveled. And I thought it would last forever and it didn't. Check out Fascinated with me, Gerald Farrelly on the Headstuff Podcast Network. And that was the tale of the young piper on Fireside and I hope you all enjoyed it. Yes, a lovely changeling tale here which we haven't really had properly since the very early days of Fireside back in episode 9 I believe it was which was the Brewery of Eggshells probably the most famous changeling tune or changeling tale which I did mention here. We talked a good bit about traditional Irish music last week particularly with reference to the harp and I was speaking about the whistle and flute from my own uh, from my own experience but here we have a story about the Illan Pipes, which I've spoken about before again, way back in the past uh, with the blind Illan Pipers in the wonderful tunes to one of my favourites of the of all of the episodes of Fireside. 
And here we have the Illan pipes again. And it was great to incorporate some of these elements because I don't play the pipes, but any of the experience I've had of them is they are so wrapped up in so much lore and mythology and history and stock. And I just finished this incredible book that I wanted to read for ages from the great Belfast poet Kieran Carson, who adapted the incredible most recent Penguin Classics adaptation of the Thorn. He wrote this very well-known book on traditional Irish music called Last Night's Fun, which I just right finished. And I recommend to all of you Last Night's Fun by Kieran Carson. Um, I struggled to find a little bit. I ended up getting it from Book Depository. If you can get your hands on it, well and good, please do. But uh, there's a wonderful passage where Carson talks about, he was a flute player himself, actually, which is why it was particularly of note for me as an aspiring poet and flute player. But he speaks about this belief among traditional Irish musicians, among some of them, certainly, and I would be inclined to believe an older stock, that a musician doesn't own an instrument. They are merely the custodian of it. And that is certainly true with something like the Illan Pipes. The great Illan Piper, Liam Ogo Flynn, who I referenced and pay homage to in this with the recurring tune being Tor Them The Love, which was the part of the opening set of Planksty's first album, Planksty by Planksty, which is um, the Raggle Taggle Gypsy into this beautiful tune, Tor Them The Love, with Liam Ogo Flynn taking the lead on the Illan Pipes. And... There was a great, uh, Lee Flynn died a couple of years ago and there was a great documentary released on him, which I watched last year, uh, where his pipes have now been passed on to a younger generation of pipers. It was in his will that his Illum pipes would not go into a museum, but that they would continue to be played and they are still being played. I forget the name of the guy who they were passed on to. I think he had a few sets. I think one went to... Um, uh, Ellen Piper was featured on The Late Late with Don Lunny and Andy Irvine quite recently I think another went to the Piper who played at Liam O'Goughlin's funeral I'm, I pardon uh, for any trial aficionados who may listen to this podcast if these are very obvious names um, I'm still very much a novice in the world of trad but I adore it so much and so constantly trying to broaden my horizons with it but I love this idea of instruments living longer lives than people. It adds a kind of deference and respect that I feel informs playing without, you know, making you too afraid or making it too much, too superstitious. I just love, I love the idea of instruments being meant to be played, not to be hung on a wall or anything. And I think we have a lot of that in, in this story with, with this idea of you needing to I think it was from the, uh, I think I heard it through my brother who heard it through the great piper, Matt Bashford, who he toured with in Celtic Nights the year before I joined, that it takes 21 years to master the pipes, seven years playing, seven years refining or practicing and seven years playing, which to me is very like the Mauricio Sulawan book, 20 Years of Growing, that in the path, the course of the human life is 20 years of growing, 20 years in bloom, 20 years of stooping and 20 years declining. This life of the pipes or this life of learning the pipes and this lifelong commitment I adore. They're a notoriously difficult instrument to play even amongst, even as difficult as trat can be to, to anyone to pick up because as I said in the story, it is like playing 
two instruments. There are pipers who just play in the canter and can't get the bellows working as well because it almost requires a split mind. Uh, it's an incredible... If you haven't he- heard any, I highly recommend you listen to... Yeah, Planksteed's first album, Planksteed by Planksteed, for the great Liam Ogo Flynn. Um, you can also check out uh, Willie Clancy was uh, the great the great piper as well. Um, I think his album is called The Bard from Clare or The Player from Clare. I'll get back to you on that one. Um, but if you want to experience selling piping music, look no further than those and listen to what you can. There's something, I am biased, but naturally I think it's much, I think it's a much more versatile or emotional or perforating sound than the bagpipes, which to an, to my ears certainly can be quite blaring or Although I often hear from Scottish people, you know, you need to get them to get the right player or the right context. I remember every year in Wicklow, there was, when there used to be the St. Patrick's Day Parade, there used to be a point in the parade where the Wicklow Town pipe band would play. And I used to be terrified of the pipe band, of the sound. I, I hated the look of them with the regalia and I just hated the blaring sound of loads of sets of bagpipes. I don't know why, it just really frightened me. Maybe I haven't been able to totally shake that. The Illum pipes, on the other hand, though, just have this drone that, forgive me for sounding like an idiot, like just sounds like the tradition and it just sounds like mythology. In the way I talked about the whistle having the sound, the simple and enduring sound of folklore and the flute having the the wind and the timbre that sounds like mythology, the Ellen Pipes also have both of those in one. They're frequently featured in folk tales, but there's something about them that that has always been revered. I spoke about the Brehan laws last week as well, about how in Brehan, Ireland, the only musicians that were re- regarded were, were harpers and pipers. Those were the two instruments, and I suppose they would be the two instruments that would still have the most reverence. So this episode goes out to all you pipers out there. I'm going to wrap things up now. Um, I suppose I'd talk a little bit more about the changing lore actually before I go, because this was and is to be... Well, I'm glad to see that this won't be a particularly short episode. And again, I hope the... I'll know when I'm editing it now, but hopefully the the quality won't be too different um, or too much weaker. I'll be back to a more regular setup in a week or two anyway. Um, an interesting note about the change the lore yeah I was particularly fascinated when I learned early on in the days of this podcast that changelings were they were a way of explaining away disabilities and and mental and physical illnesses many many mental and physical conditions that children are born with and can be born with that in Ireland Back then, one of the ways of rationing these away was that it was a fairy child who had replaced your own fairy, your own regular one. And likewise with stillbirths as well, that it was a fairy child that had been placed there. And I suppose this was a way of 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 a source of comfort as well, that it wasn't like there was something wrong with that with the human or that their God was punishing them. It was a way, but there's something very haunting and just that really stays with you about this idea of these things being explained away as fairy lore. But what I like in this story here is we have this tale of the child 
living. You know, we have this problem child because in the brewery of eggshells, it all becomes too much for the mother and she brews the eggshells and reveals the fairy and then her own baby is returned to her, happy as new, happy as Larry. But in this story, the family just kind of accept it. And I'm sure that happened an awful lot as well. Like, what do you do if you're convinced your child is a changeling and nothing happens? It doesn't die. You never get your other child back. You just live with it. And living with your child, believing that it isn't your child, believing that it is a changeling, what is that like? When what was that like? And I think this is a nice story that's an example of that, of that the parents, it being... Regard, in being irrelevant whether or not their child was uh, changing they still wanted the best with it and this was a huge part of changing lore was that they were quite musical as well and so all of the signs pointed to the young piper being a changeling but the family were willing to do they were willing to move from the community away and it's sad I'm happy because you can't help but root for this this scamp even though he's reckoned as his father's and his parents' lives. Uh, he's still just a child and a very gifted child. And I suppose he is the, the anti-hero of this tale. And I'm glad he doesn't die at the end. He goes off to his own people. But your heart is just left wanting for poor El Mick and Judy and the rest of their sons as they watch this child that they had never that they had always wanted to love and that had always accepted as their own and was actually, everyone was right, he was a fairy the whole time. And one thing I did change, and I quite liked this change I made, in the original story, which I found in W.B. Yeats's fairy tales book, Mick hits the child, he strikes the child and the child falls into the river. Whereas I had incorporated this, this idea, which is true of, that you have to be strapped into Ellen Pipes, that you strap them on your legs so you play them sitting down. And so I loved the idea of Mick actually punishing the child by throwing the pipes away, not realising that the child was still attached to them. It it avoided a kind of potentially jarring in a way now of Mick just striking the child outright while still managing to express his anger in something that had been relevant before. So I was quite happy about that. But with that, I will wrap things up there. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope the quality was still up to the standard that I would always want to deliver to all of you. Please follow me over on Instagram at firesidebard. Email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Please join Headstuff Plus. Uh, join the community of supporters if you want to support this podcast. You can do so there or over at patreon.com. I'm still keeping that Patreon open for all of those who are already there or for past members who are joining up as they're catching back up. Um, I'm going to leave you, actually, I'm going to put a tag on to this of me playing Pour Them the Love on the mandolin. Rough enough recording of it, but just to give you all an impression of this wonderful tune that featured in this story uh, I hope you all enjoy it. Uh, I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. Next week, we have another story from mythology, possibly one of the earliest, chronologically anyway. We've done talked an awful lot about the arrival of the Tua de Danon, but what, what happened in Ireland before the Tua de Danon? We're going to find out next week as we tell the story of Cesar and the Flood. I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside.
This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Thank <laughs> you.